0: As a little extension of our Sunday school class, <laughs> you know, we're here to learn, right? Non-resistance is an action. My son taught, he was teaching me this morning, an action. So if somebody punches me in the face, if Joseph comes and me in the face, non-resistance to me would we'll just stand back and let him keep, continue to hit. But non-resistance is an action, and, he, and it's an action, and we're supposed to respond in a Christ-like way. And I'm sure your classes were, you were blessed in your class this morning, and I was as well. But uh, it's not shooting, it's not hitting back, but it's responding also in a Christ-like way. I want your attention to 3rd John. We're going to conclude, Lord willing, with our study through John this morning. One of the themes in 3rd John is walking in the truth. And if you have a good memory, you're going to say, time out, Pastor. We talked about that in 2 John, and you are correct. We did. Walking in truth. So here in 3 John, the words truth and true are mentioned seven times. And John uses the phrase, walk in truth, here in verse 4, and it is to describe faithfulness to Christ. So it's describing faithfulness to Christ, who is the truth. Walking in the truth is living a faithful life for Christ. If you are walking the truth, you're living a faithful life for Christ. So, hang on to that thought for a second. Consider another one. Another fact we have to think about is that we cannot walk in something that we are not familiar with. For example, people do not come to me for information on root canals and brain surgery. Why not? You know the answer. I'm not familiar with that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dentist. I can't give you any advice on that. I can't help you in that area. So I cannot walk in something that I'm not familiar with. On our spiritual side of things, if we can look at it from this side, our children are to walk. If, if we expect our children to walk in truth, what happens? What needs to happen? We need to teach them truth. We don't... Uh, expect them oh well sooner or later down the road they're going to understand truth and walk in it it needs to be taught so as parents we have a number of responsibilities and we're not going to list them all because the list is is quite long but I like to say if I'm allowed one of the main responsibilities in our homes is to one first of all we need to establish truth what is truth and second of all we need to pass it on to the next generation I don't think John could have written verses 1, 1, 3, and 4 if someone had not taken the time to pass truth on to Gaius, as we're going to look at here in in these verses. Truth must be passed on. A few weeks ago, maybe a month or more ago, I met with a couple in Mechanicsville, Maryland. Those of you familiar with that area, south of D.C., and it is an Amish Mennonite area. And in the course of conversation... He was talking about the Amish he had contacted to come out to change his barn roof. And in the course of conversation, I said, oh, so do you, do you go to church? Oh, no, not regularly, sometimes on Christmas and Easter. Okay. And then they, uh, they quickly informed me, well, it was right at the time the week of Lent, and they quickly informed me that, well, during the week of Lent, we did not eat meat. Okay. They took this man, like pastor pastor, knocked him a couple notches lower, like, how does this tie in? And then they said, oh, by the way, Ash Wednesday, we did not eat meat either. And then I was completely flattened. I are like, okay. I, 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 to be honest with you, I had a loss of words that I didn't say a whole lot. And the man wasn't quite finished. He said, well, he said, my mother took me to church, uh, to the Catholic church when, uh, by the way, I missed a part. They said they, they considered themselves non practicing Catholics. That's where it was. They didn't do what Ray's friend did and read. But this man said, when my mother took me to church until I was up until ninth or 10th grade, and then uh, she said, uh, well, I brought you this far, and from here out, you're on your own. Maybe if I go back, I would have responded different, but I did the non-resistant thing, or part of that and i said nothing i didn't know what to say church the truth of the gospel needs to be preserved at all times and every child of god whether you are a parent here this morning or not we we are given the responsibility to pass truth the truth of the gospel on to the next generation two questions first of all are we walking in truth and secondly are we passing truth on to our children so that they know how to walk in truth many times uh We say many, often we'll say how our church is a young church, a lot of children, praise the Lord. And we say we're raising our families. And at the stage of life we are in, that is truth. That's exactly what we are doing. But look at it from a different angle. We're raising our families. And at the same time, we are multiplying disciples for Jesus Christ. And there's two points I got from Anabaptist pr- uh, Perspectives, a podcast I listened to. But they are, the, the, come, the point was made out, we are multiplying disciples for Jesus Christ. And the second thing is, you are raising ambassadors for the Lord. So you, if you would say, I'm raising my family, I would say, you are doing exactly that. But here, what I heard, learned is we're also multiplying disciples and we're raising ambassadors for the Lord. Ambassador for Christ is one who is set out to work as a citizen in God's kingdom, representing truth and light in a world of deceit and darkness. So your, your two-year-old sitting beside you or your three-year-old, you're doing your best right now just to keep them quiet and keep them sitting still. And hopefully you can, they'll cooperate. But what you're actually doing this morning, Dad, is you're training your child to be a disciple for the Lord. And you're training your child this morning to be an ambassador that as soon as he is a little bit older than three, he can go out and shed light in this dark world. Let's take our responsibilities and look at it that way. Verse 4, which we didn't get to the chapter yet, but verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, I think that's every parent's desire, that our children are walking in truth. I believe the training, the training process for ambassadors and for disciples begins at birth and ends at the grave. So we need to be diligent as we instill truth in the hearts of the younger generation and as I was studying the thought came to me you know take the world but give me Jesus. Brothers and sisters this morning we need to pass on the truth of the gospel. I struggled a little bit with the title this morning and finally after uh, a number of thoughts I'm going to title the message this morning little as much when God is in it. Little as much when God is in it. There's John has He wrote an interesting section of verses here, and as I mentioned, we're going to see the subject of walking in truth. We're also going to see an emphasis on hospitality, and then when we get close to the end, we're going to, it's followed by a man's reputation. So we can take these three this morning and learn from them. The three main characters are Gaius, Theophis, and Demetrius. That's basically what we're going to look at this morning, and Uh, With that, let's read just the first couple verses here. Keep in mind, again, taken from chapter 2, in the New Testament times, you had these traveling uh, speakers, missionaries, so to speak, going from house to house, staying at different people's houses, and that's where we see the hospitality come in. And John starts out by commending Gaius for his hospitality, verses 1 through 8. John through third John the elder unto the well beloved Gaius whom I love in the truth beloved I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth beloved Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. There we have the hospitality thing. Which have borne witness of thy charity for the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. Wherefore, we therefore ought to receive such that we may be fellow helpers of the truth. Again, traveling speakers going from house, from church to church, and they were staying with people who were in the church and also helped, cared for, and then helped on to the next church. And John was uh, grateful for the hospitality of his friend Gaius here. So the first point is the hospitality of Gaius, which is verses one through eight, which I read. Gaius was a a common name in New Testament times. The Bible tells us of three other men with the same name. There was a Gaius at at Corinth in Romans 16. There was one in Macedonia in Acts 19. And there was a Gaius at Derby in Acts 20. The Gaius that John's writing about here was, was likely a man of responsibility in the church because we see the visiting speakers stayed with him on a regular basis. John calls him well-beloved, one he loves in the faith, indicating that these two men, John and Gaius, were were close friends. And verse 2 is is like a prayer. He says, I wish above all things, so the primary thing would be that uh, you may prosper in your health as your spiritual life prospers, indicating that there might have been a little bit of struggle with physical health here of this man. But then we get into verse 3 through the rest number of the verses here and we see his, his reputation what we have was somebody telling John about his own friend somebody went and informed him how he is doing and John was informed that Gaius was walking in the truth what does it mean i had mentioned earlier that we're walking in obedience to Christ but Gaius was spiritually healthy and he was walking faithfully with Christ spiritually healthy, and walking faithfully. And to stop and consider a little bit, it's not that we are going through life with the goal to impress others. I don't, I don't, it, that's not our, our point at all. But when you look at a man with a humble servant heart combined with a reputation like this man had, it's, it's highly commendable. And not that we're supposed to compare ourselves among ourselves, but what would others write about you and I? Would they say that he is walking, that we, you and I, are walking in the truth? I mentioned earlier that we were learning in our Sunday school class, and I'm learning as we go, hopefully, continue learning as we go through this chapter. But are we, uh, do we have that reputation that we are walking in the truth? Gaius was a, a selfless servant, and his faith was proven by his actions. Selfless and a faith that's proven by what we see that that he did. And John was was thrilled when he heard of the testimony. And he added in verse 4, which is the verse you see on plaque sometimes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Above all else, that my children are walking in truth. His prayer up in verse 2 was um, above all things. John said, above all things, I just wish that you were your physical health with, as your spiritual health. And now I believe in verse 4, he's almost beyond words. He had hard, could hardly find words to describe when he heard this man was walking in the truth. So we bit. We will talk a little bit about reputation towards the end. But here, just think about a man having a vigorous walk with God. And it, it was found in, a, um, in the way that how he served his fellow Christians. So, again, not that we're comparing ourselves, but do we have a vigorous walk with God? Are you spiritually healthy? Am I spiritually healthy? And when, if someone would write about you, uh, beloved, and put your name in there, he or she is walking in the truth. Just think about it. Where are we at? Where are you at? Where am I at in our spiritual life? When any believer selflessly strives to prosper others who walks with God, God makes sure that his or her soul will prosper as well. Are we doing our part? A lot of what we see here is behind the scenes. Let's uh, pause and answer the second question. First of all, the first one that we heard, again, are we walking in truth? And secondly, are we selfless servants whose faith is supported by our actions? You know, it's one thing for someone to come up to you and say, well, I have the gift of X, Y, Z. It's another thing for you and I to stand back and observe. Well, that person has a gift of, and you can fill in the blank. Are we that kind of a people? I think we're called to, to be obedient to God's word. That's not very profound. We, we know that. Uh, but we need to take note that the Bible does not teach us that we're only to act or do something if we're guaranteed to see results of our service. That's not how we're taught. So when we think of helping others, we, think, uh, we, we need to think of doing things that are behind the scenes. Not always being out in the spotlight. We're rather to, we are to be selfless, yes, serving faithfully, doing our part. And then what? Then we allow God to be God and let him take care of the results. And that's where I come up with our title this morning, although it is a song, but we're not gonna, I don't have plan on singing it, but little is much when God is in it. Are we, are we uh, willing to do the small things, the things that nobody would see? things behind the scenes, no one even might notice. Are we, we willing to do that because that little is much when God is in it? When it comes to helping or serving others, maybe we prefer to serve in, in a big way where, where, where many will be touched. Now, I'm not saying we have a selfish attitude, but the Bible tells us in Mark nine forty one, for whosoever shall give a cup of cold water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ. verily, I say unto you, He shall not lose His reward. You mean all I have to do is just offer a cup of cold water to someone, and God's going to notice? That's correct. That's what, that's what He is telling us. Little is much when God is in it. More on Gaius in verses five through eight faithfully showing hospitality to visiting speakers. He generously offered support to those who who came by and helping them spread the gospel. And what we see here is a man who is willing to go the second mile. He was treating his guests as the Lord would treat them. He encouraged them on their ministry. And John says, we see in verse 8, because of what they were doing, We ought to receive such. We ought to be fellow helpers of the truth. He also adds in verse uh, 7 that they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. What is he saying? He means that they were not uh, using high-pressure methods to squeeze money out of people. They were not motivated by funds, but they were just there to present the gospel. So as we try to picture visiting speakers traveling from town to town, staying in house after house, just think of traveling evangelists in our day. They, they leave their family for, for days at a time. There is the strain of preaching a new congregation. There is the inconvenience of living out of a suitcase. There's a the loneliness that comes with those who are, uh, have to make friend, new friends day after day. Then you think of the prayer and study and, and discipline to keep up with the, the schedules. It's hard work. And John's saying, in light of it all, we ought to welcome these people and help them out in any way possible. And I'd like to commend the church this morning when we have people come in there and put sign-up sheets. Uh, God bless you for your hospitality. What can we learn from Gaius? Be hospitable. Help out where we can. Little as much when God is in it. Gaius is remembered as being spiritually healthy and one who walked faithfully with Christ. Try to compare that with our lives. He was a selfless servant whose faith was proven by his actions, ready and willing to lend a helping hand. We can learn a lot. I think we have learned a lot, and we are practicing what we see here. Generosity is commended, or we trying, or being like Gaius. And then the second point is the pride of, of um, Diothephes in verses 9 and 10. John continues, after what we, the glorious report of an individual we is heard, he, he says in verse, tells us in verse 9 and 10, I wrote unto the church, but Diothephes, who loveth the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Just some strong words, negative comments, if you will about a man who had quite a different attitude from what Gaius had, one that loves preeminence. And this uh, word is taken from two Greek words, which together mean fond of being first, and which is the opposite of what we looked at in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, the love chapter there, humility. So we went from a, a selfless man to a man that is full of self. And the three characteristics that stick out Uh, In This man's personality is, one, we talked about a little bit, he loved to be first. Second of all, he prayed against John, or he was against him with his words. And thirdly, he exercised undue power in the church so he was stepping out of line. Two quotes, one from Charles Spurgeon. A man who will not do well in his present place because he longs to be higher is too high and should be put lower. I thought it was interesting. Dr. David Jeremiah, the second one. The self-seeking and self-important Diothephes heads a long line of people who never learned to distinguish between the love of Christ and the love for their place in the church. What we have here in these two verses is a man, a proud man, trying to exalt himself, and John here is telling us exactly how to handle. Like I said, his words are quite strong, but he the reason is this kind of attitude opposes a serious danger in the, in the church. This man was proud, he was power-hungry, and he aggressively opposed the truth and also opposed those who were preaching truth. But he didn't stop there. He worked hard to keep anyone... Who might threaten his position. And he promoted selfishness in others. And I had to stop and consider as I looked at this, how John wrote this. Those who expose people like this do not tend to become very popular. If someone speaks up against an individual as, as such, they don't tend to become well known. But John doesn't appear to be watering down the facts. Rather, he calls the man by name and then lists the accusations against him. Verse 10, he prayed against John, using unkind words, accusing words which were designed to cause injury to others. He resented the idea of having visitors, visiting speakers in the church because he wanted to be that person. He wanted to be top of the list. He didn't receive the visiting brethren as, as Gaius did here. And he also forbade those who tried to, to the point of putting them out of the church. So, brother and sister, if you take XYZ into your house to help him out, you're going to be excommunicated, according to what we see here. He attempted to control people's conduct, not for their protection, but for his own ego. Those with with the diothafy disease want to be first. They greedily seek power and control. And this is not a section of verses which I enjoy talking about. But there is danger in desiring power. The only person who can have preeminence among God's people is Jesus Christ. We can see that in Colossians 1.18. So what, how should we respond here? Our focus as we go through life should not be on, on our, our position within the church. You know, where am I at? But rather our participation... In the work of the church to advance God's work and to bring him glory. So why am I here this morning? Why did Shane teach Sunday school uh, this morning? So we mentioned his name of the pulpit? No. So we can advance God's kingdom and bring him glory. And that goes for every, every office in the church. It's not for us. It's for him. Are we doing what we do for God? Little as much when God is in it. I'm not even sure who it was this morning, but I think someone came here early this morning, turned lights on and locked the doors and adjusted the temperature. I'm not sure who it was, but thank you. And he might have got here this morning and said, well, it's kind of worthless. No one's even noticing me do that. But no, God sees, God knows, God understands. Are we willing to do those small things? And... the. the when we are doing things for the honor and glory of God, it takes us back to the attitude and to the personality of Gaius. who's willing to do things for, for God. We serve God best when we generously employ our resources and talents he has given us to serve other people. When we use what we have been given to serve others. So yes, we're all given different gifts and various abilities, but not for selfish reasons, but we would use them to serve others. And that's the main difference in the two men that we're talking about thus far. And I'm confident there's no one here this morning with this kind of attitude as we see in verses 9 and 10. What I see in verses 9 and 10 is a my way or the highway mindset which will cause major destruction to a body of believers. So if Verses 9 and 10 are some red flags flying all over the place. We need to be so careful there. So what can we learn from uh, Diothephes? You know, what can we learn from man like this? And I look at this and I say, well, we need to learn from his mistakes. Do not become like this man. Do not become like this man. How to think of verse, uh, 1 Timothy 6.6. 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is what? Is great gain. Are we content with where we are serving? Are we serving God and giving him our all? Use our talents to serve others, not to hinder the work of the church as we see happening here. We get to verse 11 just uh, real quickly there. Beloved, follow not, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth evil has not seen God. How much clearer could John have written that? Brothers and sisters this morning, follow that which is good. So basically, don't follow the example of the man we see in verses 9 and 10. Follow that which is good. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, be you followers of me. So, but he doesn't stop there. He said, even as I also am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow that which is good. The third point is the reputation of Demetrius in verses, verse 12. Demetrius had a good report of all men and the truth itself. Yea, we also bear record and ye you know that our record is true. So John started out with a good example. Then he showed us a bad example. And now he, he closes the book, so to speak, on a positive note. And after all we looked at, he uses one verse to describe this man. Demetrius had a good report of all men. So if we would open it up and say what does that tell us? I just wonder what we would hear. But here's a few. He followed, he was a man who loved, followed and upheld truth. He had a good report of all men and of the truth itself. As repeat, not to compare ourselves among ourselves, but would they would someone write that about you? He had a, a good report, and I, I, I trust that they would. But notice the lifestyle that this man had. Deuteronomy focused on himself. It was all about himself. Gaius, uh, he focused on serving others. Demetrius had a noteworthy trend, uh, reputation, and it's obvious which ones John is telling us this morning that we, we need to follow With one verse, we don't know a lot about Demetrius, but try to think, if I'm allowed, to think who he could have been. Who he could have been. He could have been a member of the church that Gaius attended, or he could have been one of the traveling missionaries. Maybe he was the person who carried this letter uh, to Gaius, or was he one of the people that uh, Diotrephes refused to receive? He could have been the silversmith we read about in Acts 19 but now converted because that name is is used earlier. But regardless of the past he obviously played an important role in the work work of the church. What we need to think about when we we see that we have one verse about this man and little is known think about it this way A, a major part of God's work is carried out by common Ordinary, almost unknown people. For example, think about the disciple Andrew. What role did he play? As far as we know, uh, from what we're aware of, Andrew never preached a sermon. He never wrote a book. Andrew never held any special place among the disciples. Who was Andrew? Andrew was a quiet, common, ordinary laboring fisherman, and yet in God's eyes, he was just as valuable as the Apostle Paul or the other apostles. Yes, God needs men like Paul, Martin Luther and Felix Mons. He needs men like that, but he also needs ordinary men and women like you and me to adorn the gospel. God has not called everyone to the same position. It was Andrew, that quiet disciple, who led Peter to Christ. If it had not been for the testimony of Andrew, Peter may have lived and died a cursing fisherman. But we know very little about about his life except for a few things listed there. In Hebrews 11, after reciting a long list of names, what we call the, the heroes of faith. After a bunch of names, the writer wrote, I read, and others... So a whole mess of names, then he says, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, bonds, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, in mountains. In dens and caves of the earth, all these, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. And the question I have is, who were the others? They were a great host of almost unknown people. But they were faithful in their service to God. And that others will see the face of God someday soon on resurrection day. Many times, God uses insignificant and almost unknown people to do his work. One verse in 3 John about Demetrius. I picture this man as being the the behind-the-scenes kind of guy with a good reputation. Let's continue. Remember the shepherds on their fields watching their flocks by night? Were they given names? All that we know is the shepherds. What about the lad? Don't think there's a name for him. Who brought the two fish to Jesus? Does he give it a name? How about the, the, the town clerk who quieted the angry mob? No name that I'm aware of. What about those who were responsible for letting Paul down over the wall in a basket? Just say they left Paul down over the wall in a basket. <clears throat> and all these are mentioned in the Bible with little to no identification. I come back to my title, the title, Little as Much When God is in It. Today, we need the -the behind-the-scenes workers. Those who who call a friend to offer listening ear or words of encouragement. Those who are willing to sit by the bedside of the sick. Those who daily lead a life of prayer, intercession for others. There's someone here this morning that returned home last night at 11 o'clock because they needed to go take a spare key to someone in need. Two people in need. No names mentioned. Do we, do you have the gift of encouragement? One of the old hymns uh, contained the words, if you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, so we, if you cannot do that, the song goes on, you can tell of the love of Jesus and you can say he died for all. Little is much when God is in it. Are we doing our part? The famous foot." Baseball player, Babe Ruth, said one time near the end of his life, most of the people, I quote, who have really counted in my life were not famous. Nobody ever heard of them except those who lived near them and loved them. He continues, I knew an old preacher whose hair was white and his face shone. He had a good influence on people. Babe said, I've written my name on thousands of baseballs in my lifetime, but that old preacher... Wrote his name on just a few simple hearts. In case you're not aware, Babe Ruth was known, as as I read here, to being a a big home run hitter in his day. He says, I'm listed as a famous home run hitter, hitter, yet beside that obscure preacher who was so good and so wise, I never even got to first base. Famous in the eyes of the world is one thing. What about in the eyes of God? Hebrews 11, and others, Demetrius, Gaius, little as much when God is in it. There are many Christians who are letting, whose lives are letting good impressions on the hearts of men and women and boys and girls that only eternity is going to reveal, and I hope that is you here this morning. You're letting that there, your, your impression on that soul. And there's a possibility that no one will ever come up to you and pat you on the back and say, good job. That's all right. God doesn't forget. And I think Demetrius was such a man. We do not have to be rich or famous or college-educated ed- to inspire others to go and live for the Lord. The important aspect is to be patient, consistent, honest, and pure again are we talking about us here this morning the church and the world that we are living in needs more people like Demetrius and Gaius people who are willing to work behind the scenes people who are unconcerned about who gets the credit as long as God does It may be that God does not want you in the mission field. It could be that he does. It could be that he does not want you in the mission field. But he does want you to help someone else get there. Maybe God does not intend for you to preach a message or lead singing in the front of the congregation. But maybe God wants you to support and encourage those who do. Remember to thank Damien after church this morning. Good job, Damien, thus far. It's, it's, it's all the same in God's eyes. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his, towards his name, in that you minister to the saints and do minister. God will not forget our labor of love. He will not overlook the small things in life. Whatever we do to bless God's people and to further his work of the church, it's a priceless offering to him. Are we willing to work behind the scenes? Little as much when God is in it. Matthew twenty-eight forty, And the king shall answer, Just a, I think we know the story quite well. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. The people said, "Lord, when did we do this and this and this?" And this is the answer: little as much, when God, is in it. I close with the last two verses. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and shall speak to fa- and we shall speak face to face. Peace be with thee, our friends. Salute thee, greet. Thy friends by name. I talked to Pastor Jim last night. He said, do not change your notes. But he said, isn't that the chapter that says, greet thy friends by name? And I said, it is. But I actually didn't even dig in and study that. But there you are. There's some, some homework for you if you want to. Greet thy friends by name. He said, there's just some value in greeting someone by their name. So if you see someone, hello, brother or sister, there's nothing wrong with that. But you say, good afternoon, brother Ray, that's what they're saying. Greet thy friends by name. Go in peace. The God of peace and love be with you. Reach out and help where you can. Serve faithfully, even in the small things. I always think it's so sweet, so neat to see Josh bring the water up front here. And now we look at that verse, God's not going to forget his labor. So you might say, well, nobody even saw me open that door and give my neighbor girl a, a cup of water, but God saw. Nobody ever saw me and fill in the blank of something so small and so in- insignificant. How can I help the kingdom in this way? God's watching. We're not going to do anything outside his all-seeing eye. Press on. Be the man and the woman that God has called you to be. That's Paul for prayer. Lord, we just thank you for... The way you inspired John to write this chapter, and I pray, Lord, that we can be men and women that are hospitable. I pray, Lord, we could not be as the gentleman in verses 9 and 10, but we can just press on in faith. Lord, help us to remember that these small things that are done in your name, you will not forget. And not that we do have to do everything for honor and for praise and for glory and for reward, but Lord, help us just to be diligent. Also pray, Lord, that we can be uh, diligent in passing truth on to the next generation. I pray we can be walking in the light, walking in truth, walking in love. Lord, if my reputation is, is black, help me, Lord. Work with me. May I confess fa- failures and faults, and I can have a reputation that will please you. I pray that every soul here this morning, when they meet Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, they can hear him say, Welcome home, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, be with us. Lead, direct. Show us your will, your way. May we be humble, selfless servants. In your name I pray. Amen.